Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I promise you that this is the last in this series. <laughs> I, I lost count of how many, but these, these verses 11 through 14 are so, so powerful. And for us to apply them to our lives, to believe them and trust what God is saying through them. Verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The grace of God that brings salvation. It redeems us and it makes us his very own. I think a lot of these themes kind of tie together, that he's made us his very own, that he's made us his masterpiece. He's made us a rare and beautiful treasure. And that's the way he looks at you and I. Now, we don't always look at ourselves like that, and other people certainly don't always look at us in that way, but, but we need to have God's perspective on life. How does he see it? It was his goal from the beginning that we would be his and that he would be ours. The last part there where we jumped, uh, jumped off last week, eager to do what is good, zealous of good works, that, that you know what? Life is short. Life is short. And for us to use the time we have on this life to live it well, as uh, the guys in Switchfoot said, I, I want to live it well and you're the one I'm living for. Who are we living for? Ultimately, in our hearts, we're living for someone or something. And for, for you and I to, to live for the one who created us. God gives us the purpose. God gives us meaning in his life. And, and uh, let's go ahead and jump to, back to... <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> I was going to say, are we going to sing another song here? Or? Here, let me talk to her. We'll get this over with right away. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Let's read those again, too. My two anchor verses. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And not by works, so that no one can boast. We are not saved by works, we are not saved by what we do. We're saved by grace, through faith. But verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Can we just turn those fans off, please? Panel, top, bottom right, bottom right, bottom right in the panel. There we go. Feels like windy in here. So what we were created to do, God has purpose for our lives. God has meaning for our lives. And I think the sooner we get in tune 
with what God has for us, the sooner we're going to have peace, the sooner we're going to have this joy, this life-giving peace and joy that He has for us. But we need to be tuned in to what we were made for. He says here, He's created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. We read in Titus that we would be eager to do good, zealous of good works. And and God loves us. God loves you. And he offers you, as I quoted last time, a wonderful plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. You say, well, I don't really know what it is, or maybe I don't want what God wants for my life. But the fact of the matter is God has a plan for your life, whether you accept it or, or believe it or not. Obviously, well, it's obvious to me anyways, that if we... If we seek his face, we ask him, and we, we want to know what his plan is, we're going to get tuned in much quicker, right? Than if he has to kind of get our attention. I'm speaking about those that belong to him. If you don't belong to him, you're not, you don't really care what his plan is, right? Why would you care? But for those of us that, that, that are saved by grace through faith, he's got a plan. He's got a purpose. We talked about the fact that, you know, there's a general plan and there's specific plans. There's a general plan for all of us to to do the right thing, to follow after him, to seek his face. But then I think it gets even more specific. What has he he gifted me? What has he called me to do? What does he uh, want me to pursue in my life? And that, I I think that is, uh, you know, is is, uh, widely... uh, a wide of a subject as, as each one of us here in this room are different and created differently. There's no one particular path for each one of us uh, individually. But God, the exciting thing is God has something for you. God has something for me and, and for me to find that and to seek after that. And, and as he's working these things out in my life day by day by day. But to have a little bit of Eagerness to do what's right, to follow what he's got for me in my life. It's hard sometimes, though, isn't it? It isn't always easy to do what God wants us to do, is it? If it was, there'd be no challenge in that. But God's working out, and and we saw in the video, you know, sometimes even pain has something to do do with all this, how God gets us to the place where, where he wants to to show us what his plan and his purposes are. I found this uh, scripture, and we've read it many times, but you can read it with me on the screen. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God and the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, he wants to give us what we need to do what he's called us to do. But one of the ways and one of the most important ways for you and I to achieve that is to be in the Bible, to be in the Word of God. I, we had our men's breakfast yesterday, and, and it was a blessing. And, but one of the things that I said was, I love the Bible, and I love it more and more and more, and, and, and because God is using it in my life. And God wants to use it in your life as well. And I, and I say this over and over because I think we need to repeat it. Are, are you in the Word of God for yourself? Somebody said, somebody said at the breakfast, and I like this, he said, we can't kind of bank it. We can't bank it. Meaning, you know, well, I'm going to read the Bible at church today, and then I've banked up enough for the whole week. 
You know, it doesn't work that way. Uh, when, when God sent down manna, they had to go out what? Every day and get the man, except for the, for the Sabbath, right? They, they were allowed to bank it for two days then, right? But only two. And if they kept it any longer than that, what would happen? Jesus, you know, taught us to pray. He said, give us this day our daily bread. So he's going to equip us by when we stay in the word and, and one day we're going to stand before him for how we lived our lives. And people don't want to hear about this, but, but it is true. We're going to stand before him. Believers will stand before him. Unbelievers will also stand before him. But, it, but the judgment is, first of all, what have you done with my son Jesus? Have you believed in him? Have you received him? Because if you have, then, then you, will, you will go to heaven and be with him forever and ever. If you not, you will be separated from him forever and ever in a place we call, the Bible calls hell. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, is for believers, we will be standing before him at the, at the judgment seat of Christ for how we lived our lives. What did we do with our lives? See, it does matter. Now, that doesn't mean that and I hate, to, I hate to hear this kind of talk as, you know, well, you get saved by grace through faith, but then you've got to keep your salvation by your works. And that's not true at all. No. You're saved forever and ever by grace through faith. Period. End. Done. But how we live, how we live, what we've done with the gifts he's given to us. You, you read, you know, this is a big subject in all the scripture. Jesus talked about it, the parable, the talents. What did you do with the talents that you've been given? The one guy, he buried his, right? And it didn't go well for him. But for, for, for us to use what he's given to us, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 3 about building on the foundation. And the foundation is Jesus Christ. And he says what you do with it, if you build with wood, hay, or straw, or if you build with, you know, good things, precious metals and, and you know, the, the beautiful things, the precious things. Look what it says, though. You can read it with me. It says, if what he has built, that's you and I, survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. It's not based on what we do, but only as one escaping through the flames. The rewards are gone. Is it wrong to talk about rewards? Absolutely not. It's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, we need to know that it's there. We need to know what it says. God is going to reward us by how we live our lives. And, and are we serving Him? Are we giving Him our time, our, our talents, our treasures? Not to earn these things, but, but, but it's just what He does. Another verse I read, and I'm going to get to the main point that I have for you today, is this in Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's consider how you and I can spur each other on to do what's right. That's part of being in the family. Maybe that's why some people don't like to get together with the family, because they might get challenged. But uh, I think we need to be challenged. I need to be challenged. You need to be challenged. I remember this, and I, I uh, <clears throat> my son went out and saw my dad <clears throat> uh, about a month ago or so now. And uh, we were Skyping while they were there. And uh, my dad said, he goes, 
yeah, and I remember that time. And he had obviously told my son this, and I, could, I was mad about that. He told him about this. He said, I remember that time I, I told you, you better get off your duff and get working, because I wasn't working. But I was a Christian. He said, and, and what happened was I wasn't working, and I was, you know, well, I'm looking for a job, and blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know what, son, you need to get up off your rear and get to work and do what you need to do. He challenged me. And so I got up and I found a job and I found an apartment. I went to live with a friend of mine. But I needed a challenge. You just don't need to tell everybody about that. (laughs) So you and I, we need to be challenged, but we need to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And we need to help each other down this road. And so, you know, if, if you come here and say, well, don't... Please don't say any more words that might convict me, that might challenge me. Well, you come to the wrong place because that's what we need. We need to challenge each other, spur each other on towards love and good deeds, to do the right thing, live the right way, because the world is also trying to get you to follow its ways. In fact, it's a very, very strong voice, very, very strong words, and and a strong uh, pressure from the world. Just come this way. It's okay. You can waffle, you can, you know, you know, wind your way down all this path and nothing will happen to you. It doesn't matter. The enemy will even say, you know what, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by faith and you believe, right? So it really doesn't matter what you do. So let's just go down this path and do this. But Paul said in Galatians, you know, don't be deceived. He said, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows so shall he reap. So, let's go to the next verse. i got a few verses for you here. Psalm 57, 2. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. That should be the cry of our hearts, to cry out to Him, God, bring about your purposes in my life. Do what you need to do in my life. I'm just here. I'm just here. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, what does it say? It says that we are his workmanship. Let's look at that verse again in front of you in your Bible there. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to talk about this idea of workmanship and what, it, what the word means, but, but, but I can see here that it's all tied into this purpose and the plan that he has for our lives. It's not just to make us feel good, it's to, to put us all together. Now this word workmanship, uh, the Greek word, and, and, and I said yesterday, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I am a Greek student, and I like, I like to try to understand what these words mean. And the word is, is the Greek word poiema. Can you all say that? Poiema, that's not that hard. Now, you're all Greek students, too. And it, it, it comes from the word for to do or to make, right? And, and so the word means something made, something that has been made, right? It's where we get our English word what? Poem, right, because a poem is something that somebody makes or creates, you see. 
Now, most versions translate it as workmanship, uh, which, you know, when we think of word, the word workmanship, we think of what somebody does and works on your house, right? And they, you know, they put some windows in or they, they do some work there. You say, his workmanship is really good. It turned out really good. I like it, right? It's a, you know, his workmanship, you know, it, it's like something you can commend somebody for because of what they see. Another version translates, translates it God's handiwork. But yet another version translates it God's masterpiece. That's what he was talking about in the video. And, and I like there's a, a fellow, and I'm going to talk about him in a, at the end here. His name is Edmund Hebert. And he, he called it God's creative masterpiece. That kind of puts the whole thought together. God's creative masterpiece. And why do I say that? Because this word, this word poema, is only used twice. Only used two times in the New Testament. Once is here in Ephesians 2.10. And the other, I'll put up on the screen for you so you can see, is in the book of Romans. Read it with me and you'll kind of get this idea where he's coming up with God's creative masterpiece. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Being understood from His poema, poema, see? So these are the only two places that this is used, and, and one is speaking about what? The creation of the world, that that this passage, you read Romans chapter 1, he says, you know, they look around, you can see, having clearly seen his divine nature, his eternal power, because you look around and you see what God has created. It's an incredibly beautiful thing. And the second use in Ephesians. This man Hebert said this too. In both instances, it is use of God's Creative activity. God's creative activity. He created the earth, and he also has created this masterpiece in you and me, those that have, again, believed, been saved by grace through faith. It's a creative masterpiece. He says this about the creation of the world. He said, this world, and listen to this, because this applies to you and me too, this world is not the result of a chance evolutionary process. It is the direct result of the creative work of the eternal God. That's the world, but, but that's the same word that he, that he used for you and me too. That your, your life, my life, as a believer, following him is the direct result of the creative work of the eternal God. That you got to think about that, but that is powerful. That is a powerful, powerful thought. Used of God's children. Any of you heard of Henry Morris? Henry Morris wrote uh, some commentaries on the book of Genesis, right? Genesis is the book of beginnings, right? And the first 11 chapters are powerful, powerful. The whole thing is obviously... But, but he's, he's also the guy that started the Institute for Creation Research. You've heard of that, ICR. He started that. 
But, but he, so his whole thing is about the creation. But look what he says here. He says, God has written two poetic masterpieces, as it were, one in the physical creation and one in the lives of men and women redeemed and saved by his grace. Both give testimony to the eternal power of the creator-redeemer. Two poetic masterpieces. That's incredible. Chuck Smith, you all know who he is, right? You've heard of him? What does he say? He says, you are his work. You are his poem. And a poem is a thing of, of grace and a thing of beauty. That's you. That's me. One, uh, one writer talking about this word poema says that it could, mean, it could mean any work of art, not just a poem, though. It could be a statue. It could be a song. It could be some architecture. It could be a poem. It could be a painting. But it, it talks about the idea of something that was artfully created. Again, how does this apply? This applies to you if you are one of his. This is, a, this is something that God is doing in me, that I am his workmanship. He's creating something of beauty, something of value. One man who, who writes about the, the Greek language, uh, his name is Robertson, he says, if Rembrandt's artistic masterpieces have great value, would not God's one-of-a-kind human masterpieces convey even greater value. That's you. That's me. God created. That's why David said in Psalm 139, you know, I, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We are a new creation. God has done this incredible work in our lives. But do you always feel that way? That's what he was talking about in this video. Is it, it doesn't matter what you feel. What does the Bible tell you about what he has done in your life? He says, you are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Oh, we still got to hang out in these old bodies for a while, but it's not forever, thank God. The old preacher uh, said, you know, his favorite words in the Bible were, and it came to pass. And it came to pass. It's not going to be forever. But this, this work of the artist, this work of the artist, the poet uses what? Words. The sculptor, clay, stone. Interesting thing about sculpting, which, you know, I think is definitely a gift, and, and God is, is also, you know, as the creator, he can, he can see this, but a sculptor can look at a piece of stone, right, and see something there. And so he starts to chip away at it, right? And a little bit here, a little bit there. I think it's the same with a, you know, a potter. He can take this lump of clay and he can kind of see what, see what he's going to do with that clay. 
The painter, he takes, he's got these palette of colors and, and he can take those and make something beautiful. The Mona Lisa, right? Nothing like it. I was there once. I, I was in Paris one time. We went to the museum. We ran and tried to find it. We looked at it and then we left. That's all that mattered. The songwriter. You know, I love music and I, and I believe that's one of the things that God is calling and putting in my life for, for many, many years to, to, to put together songs and to especially take scripture and to pick, put music to it because it's, it's a way to get the scripture into us, into our minds, into our hearts. But when you think about songs, you think about the music and, and it, even the songs we sing today, everyone was very different, Right? They didn't all sound the same. Some of them might sound a little similar, and, and that's, that's cool. But, but every song is different. Every song is unique. And when I think about our lives and what God is doing, what God is making, His creating work in us, each one of us is so different, so radically unique. And God is doing a work in you and in me. That's incredible. It's a masterpiece. It's his creative masterpiece, his poem, his work of art. Of course, some of us would say, well, yeah, a work of art or maybe a piece of work. <laughs> you, think about, you think that about someone else, but, but on the same, by the same token, someone else is saying that about you too. You know, he's a real piece of work, that guy. But God doesn't say that. We say that about ourselves. Boy, I'm a real piece of work, aren't I? What a loser. But God says, you know what? I'm doing something in your life. I, this, you might be a work in progress, although God sees it as finished. God sees what's already there and what he's doing, but, but he's, he's working it out. And all things work together for the good to those who are called. And God is doing something in you and he's doing something in me. And we need to get his perspective on this stuff. Okay? So, are you a piece of work or are you a work in progress? Are you God's creative masterpiece? Are you a piece that he's been shaping and molding and chipping and, and working to, you know, with a sandpaper to, to, to make this beautiful, incredible thing. I want to I wanna finish uh, with a quote by this guy, Hebert. And then I want to tell you a little bit about him before we close. Let's read this. I'll put it up on the screen for you. He said this, We... Revel. I like that word. We revel in the matchless beauties of the sunset skies as the divine artist in flaming colors flings his painting against the heavenly canvas. Isn't that beautiful? That's poetic right there. It's incredible. I don't know how many of you saw the supermoon the other night. The supermoon, it was a supermoon, it was a blue moon. What else? It was a blood moon. It was, it was incredible. It was a little cloudy, but, but it was, when you could see it, it was incredible. Kelly saw it early in the morning. 
Sometimes you look at a sunset, right, and you go like, wow, there's never a sunset that's the same. We, when we go to Florida, we, we, uh, we watch the sun rise in the morning. We get up early, we go out on the, on the beach and watch the sun rise every single day. And every single day, it's radically, completely different. Radically different. Just like every person in this room. But he didn't stop there. The second half of his quote is this. More marvelous. He says, more marvelous is the beauty of a transformed individual soul set into harmony with the eternal God through redeeming grace. It is truly God's poem, the acme or the high point of his creative work. Wow. That's you. That's me, those saved by grace. And I read that, and, but I was, I, was, I was just reading about this particular man and the man who wrote these words, and uh, I found it very interesting. He was a farmer's son. And I think he was, he was born in a place called Corn, a little town called Corn. But he was a farmer's son who was saved by Jesus. This guy, he was saved, and he felt God's call on his life to serve him at a young age. And so he went to college, and then he went to seminary, and he got you know, a master's degree, and he got a doctorate, a Ph.D., you know, God just had a plan for this young man's life, and, and uh, he went to pastor a church uh, somewhere. But then he got a fever. I think it was called undulant fever, which I don't know much about, but he got this fever, and he almost died. He was just starting out. He almost died, and, and, and they, they were able to save his life, but it wasn't long after that that he started having problems and he completely lost his hearing. Completely. Stone deaf. He almost lost his eyesight, but they were able to save his eyesight. Now this is a guy, again, he, he, was, you know, he, he was preparing to serve the Lord. And then he lost his hearing. And, and so what, you know, what happened after that? Did he just sit down and, and oh, I guess, I, I guess I'm not going to serve the Lord anymore because I can't hear. I've got this disability now. But he continued to serve the Lord. He went on to be a professor in New Testament and New Testament Greek. He went on to write many, many commentaries in the New Testament. He was a champion of the Word of God, this guy. Despite this handicap, despite what had happened to him. He's the guy that wrote these words. He believed, he knew. And he wrote those words in his commentary on the book of Ephesians, which he, which he wrote after, obviously, this had all happened to him. He wrote this in studying these words, that God was working in his life and that he was one of God's creative masterpieces. That's incredible. Is that amazing? Do you get the, you get the ramifications? Do you get the understanding of that? 
Because we all make excuses. Well, God isn't doing nothing with me because you know what? I can't do this and this is what happened to me and my life turned out this way and, and I didn't have a dad and, and you know, on and on. We make all these excuses and stories. Say, well, it's not a masterpiece because I'm not perfect. There's not everything perfect about me. Oh, really? Uh-uh. You're God's creative masterpiece. And he knows exactly what has happened in your life, what's exactly is supposed to happen, what's going to happen. That's amazing to me. I'm just amazed by this guy and this, this story. I, I looked to see if I could find a whole biography about him, but there was very little written about him. You and I are God's workmanship, his creative masterpiece, his poem, his work of art. Let's pray. And then we're going to hear the whole song. I want to hear the whole song, and then our worship team will come and close with a, another song. But let's pray first. Father in heaven, I thank you. The great and awesome, eternal God, the creator of all things, that you're also creating a work in me. That you've made me a, a new creation, and you're, you're working out all things. And even though I don't feel like it, even though it doesn't seem that way, even though I don't understand, why did this have to happen? Why did that have to happen? You have a plan and a purpose, and you call me your workmanship. And you've got, you've got a purpose. You've got things for me to do. You've got a plan. You planned these things out a long time ago that you want me to, to walk in them and do what you call me to do. I pray for each one of us to, to understand and to, to grab a hold of, of that which you've grabbed a hold of us for. <coughs> Reveal it to us, Lord. Show it to us. But most of all, we're amazed by the creative beauty of what you've done in this, in this world, but what you're also doing in us. You are amazing. That's why we call it amazing grace, because you've done so much. We don't deserve any of it. It's by grace. Father, I, I pray for any here today that, that uh, have never believed, that don't know this creation, that don't know this salvation, that don't know this brand new life. I pray that today they would open their hearts and and let you in and, and receive you and believe in you and what Jesus wants to do in, in each one. It's only a prayer away. If you're in that place, you can pray with me and say, Dear Jesus, I call out to you. I'm lost. I've got no purpose. I've got no meaning. But I call out to you and I ask you to, to come into my life to save me today. As I put my faith in you and what you did on the cross. You died for me. You were buried and you rose from the dead. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today as you do each and every day. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's hear that song and then we'll sing together one last time. Heartbreaks a bitter sound. No, well, it's ringing in my ears and I can't understand why I'm not fixed by now. Begging, I have pleaded, take this pain, but I'm still bleeding. Heart, trust you for certain, and says it's not working. I'm stuck here, still hurting, but you tell me you're making a masterpiece, you're shaping the soul in me. Thank you.